You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. And welcome to a special edition of Tunnel Vision. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. Joined alongside, we got Connor Morissette and Shotgun Spratling. Uh, Connor, a new guy. Who is this new guy in here? New guy. Uh, he was on a YouTube show uh, with us, a uh, Parasol podcast show. And Shotgun's in from the East Coast came in because today was USC Media Day. So we got to talk to all the assistant coaches and uh, dozens of players. So we want to get an update of what was going on with that. And, of course, USC Fall Camp starts tomorrow morning, bright and early, 6.30 uh, in the morning. So we're kind of give you a little preview of what's going on there. Maybe talk a little about the Colorado news, bolting for the Big 12. Uh, so there's some interesting stuff there. But we're going to get some regular Tunnel Vision shows going again. I know we've been uh, simulcasting on our YouTube channel for the Parastyle Podcast. Tried to put this one up on Facebook and Twitter. Not sure if that worked, but we are definitely up on the YouTube. So we'll keep doing that for sure and try to get it on the other platforms as well going forward. If you're watching us live on YouTube, thank you very much. If it's in the replay, you can't really comment with us, but if you're watching live, put your comments in there in the chat. And if you have a question, put question there. I'll put a little star by it. We'll get back to it later. Uh, go through all of your questions and stuff. And if you haven't met Connor Morissette yet, a uh, new guy coming over. He was working for SI before covering USC. Uh, started, uh, what, like a week or so ago, Connor? How long has it been? Yeah, about 10 days now. Started last Monday or two Mondays ago, I should say. So, yeah, about 10 days. Nice. Well, hopefully uh, you're getting indoctrinated into the <laughs> USCFootball.com family. Throwing in a live show. See, if this was Chris Trevino, he'd be complaining. Chris Trevino actually is in the other room. So if you guys have a request for 18K, <laughs> we could, like, really pull him in here and check out what was going on. And Shotgun flies in for, like, 48 hours to come in, uh, first day of fall camp and media day. So thanks for coming. No, I just came up. for this. I just came for this Tunnel Vision show because I missed you guys on YouTube so much in particular, and the Facebook and Twitter people as well. But I just missed you so much. I wanted to be you know connected and be here in the studio to be able to connect with those YouTube uh, viewers. Sane's World says, now don't get a big ego here, Connor is awesome. Woo, uh, thank thanks. you. <laughs> and I had one of, the, one of the photographers at media day comes up to me and is like, Nice job with Connor. So I was like, oh, okay, thanks. You know, so <laughs> oh, good. sweet. All right. Yeah, you're getting uh, compliments. Don't let it go to your head, though. Come on. No, no. The, Never. I, I'm really good at keeping people in check because I just 
talk a lot of trash. Yeah, and and as we always <laughs> tell anyone new on the beat, it's like you know, as soon as you think, oh, it's kind of a, it might be a lax. Uh, no, there's none of that. You know, as you've seen in one week here, you know, there's been uh, USC's already leaving for a different conference, as you knew, but now the conference they're in, there's teams leaving out of it. You know, no one knows if the conference they're in will be playing football beyond this season. We'll see. We'll see how much uh, everything kind of shakes out. But uh, you know, I, I you. We got to check out the media day. A lot of interesting things, you know, picking players' brains and stuff today. So that was really fun as well. So big day, big day. A lot of a lot of news going around. Starting with uh with some USC stuff. We'll start there, Ryan. Right? Or we're we gonna we're gonna start with Colorado. We got no. We got to start there. Jared oh, okay. Jared says love seeing shotgun studio. By the way, so they they like that you're here. So does Ryan. Ryan's like you're not allowed to be on any shows unless you're in the studio. Now you can be on the shows. <laughs> we we can do it. It's just uh, Mark says having shotgun back is awesome. I uh, appreciate that. What's well, having uh, you guys in the chat is awesome too. So thank you for doing uh, that, being here and joining us on our show. We wanted to kind of give a recap. Usually we do like instant analysis from any of the Uf USC events we cover. Like Connor and I did one. Uh, where were we, Connor? It was that Pac-12 Pac Media Day. Yes, yep. we did one. Um, usually we do something like this. We had six people, six reporters from uscfootball.com there because there were at least six tables. And the way it was set up from noon to three, uh, inside the John McKay Center is where they had the USC Media Day. Now, we didn't hear from um, Mason Cobb. We didn't hear from Caleb Williams. And we got a like brief kind of uh, Lincoln-Riley update just kind of telling us what's going on. Nothing team-wise because those guys spoke at Pac-12 Media Day. But pretty much everybody else was going to be available. They were bringing people in in their position groups. Uh, and they had had, you know, spread out the different tables. So you had all the assistant coaches kind of coming with their players. And each of them, they had 30 minutes. And uh, a lot of reporters are being only one of two of them from an outlet. They would have to bounce around. We pretty much had all the tables covered because we had, like like I said, six people there uh, doing our stuff. Our friend Keely Yor was down there doing some podcasting. We got a lot of videos up on our uh, YouTube channel, Inside Troy. Tons of videos just went up in the last, like, hour and a half, two hours. So you make sure you go check that out. But And we'll have lots of stories and stuff going on. But it was a great opportunity to get to talk to all the assistant coaches, to all the different players, kind of ask them questions. Uh, there were some interesting ones where, like, a player wouldn't say something that we were asking. Then you go ask his coach. Like, you'd have to ask coach. Okay, let's go ask him. And then, you know, Connor did that, and uh, we'll have an update with that too. But first, just to start with you guys, overall thoughts on uh, USC Media Day. We can go with you, Connor, and, and then we'll go to Shoddy. Yeah, I thought it was an awesome experience. Anytime you get that type of access is huge. And I guess the biggest nugget from today, and Chris wrote about it, we had a chance to speak with Jonah Monheim, or Monheim and we asked him, hey, we, we heard a couple things about you maybe playing left tackle. Uh, can you give us any thoughts about your position? And he said, you'll have to ask coach. So then, of course, the offensive linemen, they're all talking. Josh Henson, Josh Henson, he's also talking. Go over to ask him, where's uh, Jonah going to play this year? And he said, we've switched Michael Tarquin and Jonah Monheim, and Jonah will be playing left tackle. So I thought that was really cool. That access is, is awesome. You don't get a lot of that throughout the season. Really cool to be a part of it and a ton more to share um, after this. So ton to get to. Really excited about it. Yeah, we've got a ton of content to put out, um, even though practice is, what, uh, tw 12 hours from now, basically. <laughs> so we'll have some content because we won't get to talk to all the players for the first few days of practice. So we'll be putting out content from today over the next few days. Um, but 
ton of things to take away from it. We'll have some stories on some of the individuals. We'll have some stories on some of the broader pictures as well. Obviously, the biggest news with the Monheim, we hinted at this in the War Room, which is why you need to be a subscriber of uscfootball.com so that you get the War Room every Friday. Some we actually hinted at about a month and a half ago, I think it was, I put a nugget in there about the potential of there being some moving parts on the offensive line. And this is actually what I was told, that Michael Tarquin would go to right tackle and that Jonah Monheim was the likely person who's going to take over at left tackle. That's been the case. Now the big question becomes, now that that's settled, all right, what happens with the guys that are playing beside them? Who's going to play left guard? Who's going to play right guard? Um, because, you know, Emmanuel Pregnon comes in. He played right guard at Wyoming. So you think, okay, they'll probably put him in right guard. And Jared Kingston has played at left guard previously at Washington State. You think, okay, they put him at left guard. But it sounds like, at least to start with, it's going to be the flip-flop of that. You're going to see Emmanuel Pregnon at left guard and Jared Kingston at right guard. Don't know exact reasons on that, but we'll see if that's how it actually plays out. You know, the little bit we get to see a practice and everything as well. But I love this event. This is my favorite thing that USC has done um, in their, you know, my time covering them. I loved it last year, really liked it, you know, and I was very vo vocal about saying that to anybody around the USC program. Like, this was a great event. I've talked to different sports and said, hey, this is a great event. You guys should do something similar. Told different schools that as well, you know, where, that I cover for baseball and stuff. Like, you guys should do something similar to this. Because one, you know, it's a 30-minute window with each kind of position group. You know, some of them are kind of uh, commingled together and whatnot. But you can bounce around and talk to different people. But, you know, you get a chance to pick guys' brains a little bit more than you do in a four- or five-minute setting right after a practice so that opportunity to you know to go a little bit deeper on some things and also just cover a breadth of different topics if you want to sit with the same person or if you want to bounce around and talk to different guys about one topic you can do the same thing all at once so i think it's great it, it's really awesome i wish they would do this during the bye week and they got two of them this year so might as well come on guys <laughs> let's just throw one of these media days in during bye week uh, this, this season um but no it's a, it's a great event and a great opportunity for us to kind of pick the brains of guys and and also, because there's so many new guys last year and this year, it's a great opportunity to sit down and you know get to know those guys a little bit. You know, Jamil Muhammad coming from Georgia. You know, grew up in Alabama. You know, was he like you know what foods is he missing from back home? You know, what what is uh you know coming out to L.A. or Jack Sullivan? The fact he'd never been to California before he came out. Now we had gotten some of these tidbits from guys during the spring during their media availability, but did then okay now you can follow up and you you have time rather than you know I got to get to the actual questions we want to know about where you're playing all these type of things. Okay, let me follow up. What's your favorite food? What are you missing out on? You know those type of things. Keon Bars, I had a great conversation with him um, and talking about how he, he's a guy that wasn't that much that far away, but you know, the Murrieta kid, kid being back home in Southern California, he's super excited about the fact that he gets a chance to go home pretty much every week right now. Now, that may change during the season, but he said the fact that he's able to go back and get mom's cooking, her macaroni and cheese. He said she makes a stuffed bread that he's never seen anywhere else and no one's been able to replicate, so he's super excited about that. You know, those defensive office linemen like to eat, so he's super excited about the food and different things like that. So those type of things that you, you don't have time to get that during a normal scrum right after practice. You don't have the opportunity to kind of get to know the guy, guys a little bit more than just what position are you playing, what, you know, what's changed this week versus last week, those type of things. So that's why I really enjoy it because you get, get to kind of know guys a little bit more. It was good. And I think, you know, the first year for Lincoln Riley, as far as, you know, everything we had heard as far as, uh, you know, availability with the media, it just wasn't 
there wasn't much. You know, you talk to people that covered him in Oklahoma, and I think he got it that LA's a different market, a lot of professional sports. If you want to get coverage, you're not the only game in town. And I think, you know, just hearing from him, it sounds like he feels fairly comfortable with the way things went last year and is open to suggestions on, you know, what we do this year. Like you were saying, Shotgun, you, you know, people give feedback about Media Day being great. They bring it back, which is awesome. So, um, yeah, we'll have a, you know more availability. Uh, I think he's very conscious of what you know the media needs for content. It didn't seem like anyone has upset him, and we're not you know shutting everything down. So that's a positive. Uh, but th this event was great. Uh, when you get so much, uh, it just happens a lot. It's like opening a fire hose and trying to drink out of it, right? Like there's just so much going on, and that's part of the reasons why we didn't do instant analysis. I didn't get to that point was because, I mean, there's six of us. If only two of us were talking, like, we would have missed, you know, two-thirds of what was going on there. So Shaka did a great job of kind of compiling our notes, and we can kind of talk about what some of these players said. I don't – should we just break it up by, like, the groups that we spoke in and kind of talk offensive line first? And um, that might be the best kind of course of action because there was a lot – it was definitely a lot. And you could talk to one person for a half an hour. You could talk to – Step of the people or six people for five minutes each. You know, you could spread it out however you wanted to do it. But luckily, we had enough people there. And the offensive line was the what kicked it off. And uh, Connor already mentioned, you know, and, and Shotgun talked about, you know, teasing this in the war room around Michael Tarquin and uh, and Jonah Monheim switching. But, you know, Emmanuel Pregnon, he was a popular guy. He's, he's really big. Um, <laughs> you know, he's just, he's just a large man. I remember talking to some of the other offensive linemen about him. At the uh, the House of Victory, like big man luncheon, I was the only media guy there, and just you know there was a lot of uh, yeah, just a lot of praise for him and you know what he's gonna be able to do. It's funny we saw Cooper Lovelace walking in the the, the tunnels after, and he was like, oh, he would have been a great interview. But there was a lot of good guys there, so I don't know either one of you guys want to chime in on anything you you heard. Yeah, Connor, you know. sure. So I spent most of the time with Coach Henson, twenty minutes. You can see the interview on YouTube. And so, Shotgun, earlier you mentioned the guards and what was the plan with them. So after asking him about the tackles, I asked him about the guards and laid out exactly what you said, how Pregnan has more experience at right guard, but it looks like he'll be playing left guard and vice versa with Jared Kingston. And he said, he, whereas he committed definitively to the tackles, he kind of said it's a little bit open. And I expect it to shake out the way that you said it would with Pregnan playing left guard and Kingston at right guard, but he said it's open. We're going to try out a lot of different combinations and we're going to see. So that might not be totally set in stone. Maybe he had just given me a little nugget and he didn't want to give me another one for whatever reason. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. He, I, I was kind of explaining the question to him and he looked at me like, I, I don't think I can give you the, the full <laughs> scoop here. Um, so I, I, I expect it to be what you said it was going to be, but Coach Henson didn't say definitively that was the guard lineup and maybe we'll see something get flipped if that needs to happen after fall camp. Yeah, I think part of it is they haven't actually seen Preyton yeah. in pads. You know, and I think that, you know, they had the idea coming in the spring, like, okay, Michael Tarquin can be the left tackle. We'll leave Jonah at right tackle. And, you know, after spring they decided, let's make that switch. So I, I think that's part of it is, like, they want to see the players and get their hands on them. Um, and, you know, speaking of hands, one of the biggest things that come from it was uh, Josh Henson talking about, the biggest thing he noticed when looking back at the film last year was 
their hand placement, their their work with their hands was not good enough. So that's one of the big emphasis coming out of, of watching the tape last year, something going into the fall camp that they are really going to focus on. Um, and do work, did some work on that during spring camp as well. So, uh, you know, there's different things that, that come out of that offensive line, you know, talking with all these different guys. The biggest thing for me was walking in. I walked in right beside Jonah Monheim, um, and you know, you guys get to see them a little bit more than I do. You know, we don't get a ton of access during the offseason seeing them, but you guys have seen him at some of the House of Victory. I haven't seen him since the end of the season. He's just every time I see him, he looks so much bigger. And like this is a guy that I've known for I don't know five six years now from you know it, w- covering Drake London at Moore Park and you know you talk to the coaches and hey who's the next guy to watch out for and it's Jonah Monheim all right keep an eye on him so when he was I think he was a sophomore was the first time I saw him so now as a you know as the veteran on the offensive line he just looks so different from when I you know first saw him when he had you know basically a buzz cut a haircut much different but all of the guys just. The offensive linemen in particular, um, just because I've seen a bunch of those guys previously and seen them kind of their body types change, are, they just look jacked up right now. Those guys look huge. So I think that was my first takeaway from the offensive line. So walking in with, with Monheim, I was like, every time I see you, dude, you're bigger. And I said, every time I see me, I, I'm trying to get smaller, and yet I still keep getting bigger too. So I don't I don't think we're, we're on different paths in that regard. Um, but uh, his is working and mine isn't. <laughs> Yeah, Justin Dietrich mentioned how everyone's just so much bigger now, whether it's his position group or other guys around him. One other really interesting thing with talking to Coach Henson, I saw him tweet out a couple weeks ago. I'm sure everyone watching, they're as plugged into USC as they can be. They saw it too. He tweeted out the offensive lineman fellowship picture, mm-hmm. and it was a picture of all the offensive linemen by a pool. And I just asked him, what does it mean to be a part of that fellowship? What does it mean to be a part of the USC offensive lineman brotherhood? And he took a while to think about it, really wanted to give me a good answer, which I appreciated. And I did not expect him to say this. He started out by saying, showing up. It's not easy to be an offensive lineman. What we want from our guys is to show up every day and give it your best. And I thought that was really interesting because just just showing up, I mean, you're on the USC football team. These guys, of course, they're going to show up. But he, he went more in-depth about how if you're playing offensive line, some days it's you don't want to show up. Some days you don't want to come to practice and get hit. And some days it's hard. And he mentioned how the guys he wants are guys who show up every day give it all they have, and just the fact that he mentioned showing up, I thought that was really interesting. I did not expect him to use those two words to describe uh, what being a part of the fellowship meant. And, that, and that's something that's interesting because the most common theme throughout the entire day, for me listening to interviews, and you guys can chime in if it was different or the same for you, but talking about position battles, talking about how you have a successful season was consistency. Yep. The word consistency, that has definitely been a top-down comment from Lincoln Riley to the position coaches on down to each player is consistency and that's how you're going to win the position battles that's how you're going to be successful this season all those things and one of the comments that you know uh, RJ did a really good job of asking different guys like okay what does that mean um, and also talked with about some different things uh, of how do you tell if a guy likes football versus loves football and consistency is one of those um, in showing up when you know, you're in the middle of that fall camp 
Okay, and it gets those rough days, and you're like, again, we're out there. Now, granted, these guys aren't going two a days or three a days like they used to, um, and so some older football players will say, ah, they got it easy. But you know, being able to show up every day, even if you're beat up, you know, even if you're, you know, you're struggling, uh, you didn't get a ton of sleep last night for whatever reason, you know, can you show up the next day and still give it your all and try to get better, um, or do you take a step back for a day and then try to? You know, you, you take a day off a little bit, you're a little lighter load, and then try to push forward the next day. Can you stay consistent in that regard, too? So I think that's one of the big things with offense linemen and defense line in particular is, you know, can you show up every day when your body's getting beat up? Because obviously those big guys do get beat up a bunch. Yeah. You, and, Connor, you mentioned uh, Betty Wiley's name came up yeah. a lot. And I think I mean, I've at least asked a lot of questions about what were you doing? We saw you in the spring. What did you guys do over the summer? And Everybody, to a man, I mean, it just was like, best shape of my life. You know, they're bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, I tried to get, you know, some numbers from people and just like what goals. And sometimes they would talk about, you know, their weight goals. But he's like, yeah, I mean, obviously you want to, you know, when we're doing speed work or agility work out on the field, you're just trying to get quicker or faster. And when you're in the weight room, you know, you're trying to get stronger, um, you know, changing their body types. And, uh, you know, I think Jamil Muhammad, shotgun, we talked about it. He's up to 250, um, you know, just said, like he's put on at least 15 pounds. I talked to Kalen Bullock, who's up 30 pounds since when he came to USC. But guys are just looking, you look at their arms, you're like, okay, they look stronger. And we're kind of chatting with Shane Lee towards the end. And, you know, and, and I think RJ talked to Romello Height as well, talking about sort of like SEC versus like the rest of the world. And um, I, Shane kind of said something interesting about, you know, just from last year to this year, like the team looks, you know, bigger. And he was talking about that, like the size and the speed, like sometimes in the SEC, you just look at it like these are big guys that are moving fast. And it seems like that's this roster is much closer to that than it was before and they're you know bigger stronger faster all that kind of stuff but it was a common theme throughout when you heard from these people talking about those off-season workouts and how they've changed their bodies so much yeah and i thought talking to justin didich justin didich is known as one of the strongest guys a guy that puts in all the work in the weight room you know during the pandemic he's pulling trucks you know all kinds of stuff but he talked to me about the the way that benny wiley structures their workouts is that it's not just you're pushing weight all the time. It's you're doing the plyometrics, you're doing all the other stuff, and they do a great job of balancing all those things so that you may start pushing these heavy weights. And he said, look at what some of those defense linemen are doing. And he's like mentioning having to go up against those guys. But he said, you know, early in his career, he came in, he could lift a ton of weights, but he got stiff a little bit. So he had to work on his flexibility and all those things to make sure that he could still become the player that he needed to become. And so he was very, um, you know, definitely was, was, given Benny Wiley and his group a lot of love for what they do and the way they balance things so it's not just constantly hey you're lifting a lot of weight you know you're you're eating steaks and eating and lifting weights you know it's about doing the plyometrics doing the speed work all that type of stuff to make you a better football player so that it can translate from the weight room to the the field as well so you know Benny Wiley's name did come up a lot and like I said a lot of these guys look jacked um, we'll see you know a lot of guys lose some weight and some mass as the season progresses we'll see how much how well they can maintain their weight as the season goes on uh, to avoid some of those you know those fourth quarter letdowns that they had and you know the end of the season letdowns that they had last year I think that you know just seeing the guys that were in the room today there's a lot more depth 
there's a lot more bodies and these are big boy bodies uh, especially on the the offense and defense line yeah just one more thing with the offensive line we all saw the injuries take place at the end of last season when you're running a Lincoln Riley offense you're going to be out there a, a million plays every season and just having to stay healthy for that whole long slog especially this team that has college football playoff aspirations that is easier said than done so I think the fact that most of these guys if they're not in there or most of the guys are in their second year with uh, Benny Wiley and, and, and getting stronger that's going to pay dividends uh, as the season goes on and then the new guys I think they've ex- their experience and they're already pretty big and they're new but this will help them too yeah uh, Jonah Monheim said Jonah Monheim's up 300 pounds or so and he just seemed very optimistic of just like yeah i'm stronger you know it's everyone you talk to if you ask about that like yeah i'm, I'm way better than i was before um well, real quick one of yeah. my favorite uh sequences talking about weight gain and you know what you got to do to do that was uh gina quinones so he said he played last year i want to say it was i have to check my notes on this uh later didn't write this down but i think it was 285 282 85 so now he's around 305, and that's where he, you oh. know, he feels pretty comfortable at. Um, but he said he had to learn to eat like an offensive lineman. He said he, you line, know, yeah. he, he grew up playing. He said the last time he was offensive lineman before getting to college was basically when he first started football just because he was the biggest kid. <laughs> and then like he played quarterback. He played linebacker. Like His dad was a coach and like moved him all over the field. He played primarily defensive line in high school. And then USC recruited him to be an offensive lineman. Ryan, you remember the uh, Polynesian Bowl? You interviewed him, yeah. and he was playing defensive line, even though he was going to go play offensive line at USC. Had been at USC for a couple weeks because he was an early enrollee. Yeah, and he but flew back to Hawaii for yeah. the game. Yeah, so uh, home uh, home trip, uh, <laughs> uh, return home there, homecoming. Uh, but he, he told me he had to learn to eat like an offensive lineman. He said I was, you know, I, I was the last one finishing my plate, and ever all the other guys were done. He's like, I was eating like a defensive lineman over here. I start eating like an offensive line. So I thought that was pretty interesting uh, that he had to learn how to do some different things. And, you know, it's been a, you know, a, a, a trek kind of, you know, dealing with some injuries early in his career. And this is a guy that's probably going to be the sixth man, you know, probably the backup guard. But don't put it past him to, to make a big jump because he got that playing time last year. And he said how important that was for him and his development. That's always a key thing, which is why we say blowouts are important, even though some people don't think so. That garbage time is really important for those young guys to get some experience feel the uh, speed of the game, all those type of things. Um, and that's something USC didn't really do well under the previous coaching staff um, and didn't do great last year because the defense wasn't there. But as you're building your program for the next year and the year after and the year after, you want to get those opportunities in the fourth quarter for the young guys. So, you know, Gino got some of those because of injury last year. Yeah. But, you know, and he's probably going to be in the mix again because I say it every year, but you're going to have an offensive lineman go down, whether they get rolled up or whatever it may be. You hope it's not anything serious and you hope it's, you know, a game or two, but you know, who's going to be the sixth guy, who's going to be the seventh guy, who's going to maybe even be the eighth guy are important things in the offensive line and USC. Those are question marks a little bit this year. You know, the depth still is not fully there. They've got a bunch of bodies. They're excited about the, the young freshmen coming For sure, in. Yeah. And I mean, Justin Dietz just raved about uh, the young guys that are coming in, the offense line. He's like, these dudes are huge. And you would think how big they are, they wouldn't move great. He said their footwork is amazing. He's like, he, he's like the, the group is way beyond where he felt like he was coming in as a freshman. So, you know, he's super excited about the future of the offense line as well. But, you know, they've got some older guys that are going to be the, the guys that are uh, relying on this year. And we'll see if, how, how well that group can stay healthy. 
Yeah. Uh, I know it's the, talking to some of the offensive linemen, a lot of uh, praise for these young guys. And if you just look at the roster from a couple years ago, end of Clay Helton, you had some guys that could play and then a bunch of guys that couldn't. Like, that's changed. Now there's now there's a lot more depth. They've really, re, you know, retooled that room. Um, but if we go over like this much for each position group, it's going to be like a four-hour <laughs> well, show. Well, Ryan, the offensive linemen are the most important position on the field. It is you know very important. And that was there was some really good stuff there. Uh, running backs were next. I talked to Kyle McDonald, the running back coach, and uh, kind of interesting just to get his thoughts on what's going on. Of course, you know Rayleigh Brown now moving to uh, you know the the wide receiver spot, but he was you know very high on the two freshmen. Uh, uh, Quentin Joyner and, and Marion Peterson, you know, the two freshmen coming in, what they're able to do, their, their adjustments to California, um, you know, the, the leadership trying to fill the void of a, a Travis Dye, who is not just a leader for the running backs, but for the whole team and on Saturdays. But, um, you know, having Marshawn Lloyd there, I know you guys talked to him, uh, Austin Jones, uh, you know, he, you know, um, Darwin Barlow, there's just some really good guys there. And he liked the overall versatility. I asked him about that as far as like having, a, you know, maybe you have like three speed guys. You don't have a big, you know, a bruising guy. He feels like they have it spread out, you know, very well and gave, you know, kind of some superlatives of each one of the guys. Like this guy does this a little better than I thought. And so it was interesting. So the whole, um, you know, the whole interview is up there on our uh, YouTube channel, but I thought Kyle McDonald was great. Um, he's just, he's always a good dude to talk to about the running back room and seems very, you know, optimistic. It's, he's year two for him too. Like a lot of these coaches, like it's a little bit easier now when you bring in a couple of freshmen that you have some veterans that know what's going on and he knows what's going on with the playbook and stuff more too. So uh, I thought that was interesting. What anything from the running back room you guys liked? Marshawn Lloyd talking to him. He's five nine two fifteen. I asked him, What's it like competing for the starting job with Austin Jones? And he said, we don't see it as competing. We see it as we're both going to get an opportunity and we're going to build each other up. We're really good friends. I asked Marshawn, who's been the biggest helper, biggest guy who's helped you do a transition uh, to USC? And he said, it's been Austin. We're really good friends off the field and we're rooting for each other. It's no animosity. We, we know we're competing, but uh, we're friends first. So I thought that was really interesting. And then maybe the biggest thing, about Kayla Williams, who they grew up together in, in D.C. They didn't know each other too well, but they played against each other in high school. Marshawn Lloyd said, last year was nothing at all. Watch out for Caleb this year. So I thought that was interesting. He has high expectations for a guy he uh, he remembers from his high school days, and now they're playing together on the same team. Yeah, and Austin Jones said kind of a similar thing. Uh, you know, people ask, does your style kind of complement each other? How does it fit in? And Austin Jones said, we're, we're kind of similar. You know, he said sometimes he's watching film of practice and stuff, and he'll start be watching Marshawn's film and not realize it, that he was he was trying to watch his own film. And he's like, oh, wait, that's Marshawn. And partially because the numbers, uh, six and zero, you know, as they get bunched up at practice can be difficult to tell the difference of. Um, but he said, yeah, we're, we're pretty similar. And he talked about the two-back system similar to what he said last year coming in um, with Travis Dye is that he expected it to be kind of a two-back thing. And that's you see a, a lot of, you know, teams go to that. It's been kind of the case uh, building on. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that Austin talked about paying attention to how NFL running backs, he said, you know, there's this big conversation about how they're underpaid right now or undervalued. Um, and he said, 
you see the guys that have been paid are the guys that are versatile guys, the Christian McCaffreys, uh, the guys that can catch the ball in the backfield. And he said playing in this offense, he thinks, has helped him become more valuable potentially for the next level. So, And he knew that USC was going to bring in another running back. There was no you know, concern about that. There was no beef when you know they go out and get Marshawn Lloyd. You know, When he's kind of testing the waters of the NFL and trying to make that decision, you know, the coaching staff, the, the message was relayed, I assume, that, yeah, we're going to go get somebody else to bring in to compliment, to go with Darwin Barlow, to go with these two young guys. So when they got Marshawn Lloyd, he's like, great. That's awesome. This is another guy that can come in. Um, and I think one of the things that kind of stood out, uh, I think you gave us this note, but that uh, Marshawn Lloyd and Kyle McDonald um, said that, you know, in those short yardage goal line situation, he's going to be the guy. He's just a ball of muscle. Uh, and Austin Jones agreed with that assessment of him. He said, yeah, this dude's just lifting crazy weights in the in the, in the the weight room and whatnot. So um, he's going to be the guy on the short yard situation, but I think they're going to be kind of interchangeable, at least to begin with. And we'll see if one of them takes over and becomes that bell cow, kind of how Travis Dye did last year. And, you know, they started with the splits and then moved forward. But it seems like both of them feel comfortable uh, being in a two-back system with the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Running back room, I think there's a lot of optimism there. Uh, with this move over to the receivers, certainly. Well, some... Real quick, Ryan. Oh, yeah. We also had Miller Moss during that. And oh, I thought okay, there was yeah. Some interesting things from Miller Moss. Um, RJ sat with him for a little while. Uh, I think uh, Connor was there as well. But the most interesting thing, um, I don't know if this was you or him uh, or RJ, but from our notes, is just one of the reasons why he came back. He said that playing under Lincoln Riley. And the chance to learn from Cliff Kingsbury were two big factors in him deciding, I'm not going to hit the transfer portal right now, and I'm fine with being a backup to a guy like Caleb Williams, who they have a great relationship with. Um, But he's a graduate. He has his opportunity. He could leave at any point as a grad transfer if he decides to do that. Um, But he understands that who he can learn from now can help make him better and is looking at this fall camp as an important one, even though he knows he's going to be the backup at best. You know, he's still got a battle with Malachi Nelson. No one's a topping Caleb Williams, but he sees this as an important fall camp to give him that edge going forward for that competition that will happen after Caleb Williams leaves for the NFL after this year. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's go over to the wide receiver uh, room. And there was, we had, Three coaches, I believe, available during that time. Um, uh, Zach Hansen, the tight ends coach. Uh, I talked to Luke Heward, the inside wide receivers coach. And then Dennis Simmons, who's very popular, uh, the outside wide receivers coach. And I think, you know, the the whole, you know, Raleigh Brown. What, he's pronouncing it different. Is it Raleigh? Raleigh. Raleigh. Sorry. So he sold us Raleigh today. Raleigh Brown. Um you know, and, you know, coming over there, I feel like Luke Heward, that was one of the more interesting things he said was about, you know, they, they're sort of downplaying like what room he's going to be in. Like guys like that can do a lot of things. You're going to, you know, move them around. Like if some guys play special teams, he might get the ball. He's like, it doesn't matter if you hand him the ball or you're throwing the ball. Like some of these guys can just do special things with the ball in their hands. And this offense is just really designed well to get your playmakers the ball. So I think he was sort of downplaying like, oh, he's going to just be a wide receiver or whatever. You, you'll probably see these guys, um, you know, do some different things. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. But I know wh- who you guys talked to. I, I did talk to Dennis Simmons afterwards because he caught a huge, uh, <laughs> he caught a, a really big bluefin tuna. What They do a, a Cabo trip. I think it's Cabo. Um, with Lincoln Riley. And Riley talked about it at Pac-12 Media Day. And I just came back from a two-day trip 
didn't catch two hundred something pound one, but I caught a few bluefin tuna. So I talked to him about, about that a little bit. So that was a little bonding moment there afterwards. But uh, anything you guys got out of this? I talked to Raleigh too, and I think the receiver move on the roster has really gotten a lot of attention from USC fans and rightfully so and I asked him was this something when you were recruited here was this the plan all along and he said yes last year if I didn't get hurt I would have done a lot more in the receiving game than I did even though as a running back he did make some catches but the plan all along with Lincoln Riley and Raleigh Brown was to have him play some running back but then move him to a receiver spot so now that he's healthy we get to see that and he I asked him too do you still anticipate getting some carries this year and he said absolutely yes so I'm not just going to be in that slot receiver role I'm also going to get some carries and he was really excited about it the fact that Lincoln Riley such a great offensive mind is asking him to not only play one position but kind of be a hybrid and do two he really excited about that and he just seemed to be uh, finally healthy and really in good spirits today. So I think he's going to have a huge year. I'm excited to see what he does. I mean, that inside wide receiver group is going to be just – I don't think you can take your eyes off of it. Like if you're just watching – like normally you watch football, you know, you're watching a quarterback. You're going to want to watch those inside receivers a lot on plays and just watch the routes they run, see how they're trying to devise ways to get them open because once they do get them open and they get the ball in the hands – it's potential for, for six every single time because you've got Relique Brown, Raleigh Brown, you got Zachariah Branch, you got Mario Williams. I mean, you have dynamic guys. And then, depending on where you want to play Deuce Robinson, whether you want to put him inside or outside, you can put him in there for, uh, for a matchup nightmare. I mean, it is going to be – it's just – Lincoln Riley is going to – he's going to have to calm himself down because he's like, all right, I can draw this up. I can draw this up. He's rubbing his hands. He's licking his lips. He's ready to go. He's like, all right, I gotta calm down. Let me call a run play every once in a while. Um, and maybe that's when you see Riley uh, get in the backfield. But, you know, there's just so much talent there. And I didn't even mention Taj Washington, who's the one guy that is the returner, the reliable guy. And Taj – kind of said, you know, he doesn't mind being the guy that people kind of forget about. He's the, he's the one that, you know, is returning with, I think he's got three 600-yard seasons now, or three 700-yard seasons, and people kind of forget about him, um, but that's okay. He doesn't mind it because, you know, if defense forget about him a little bit, that's great for him too. Um, so the inside wide receiver room, I think, is going to be just amazing this season, has that potential at least. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch who they decide to play, where they decide to move guys around. Can you get multiple of those guys on the field? And I talked to Zach Hansen, and he mentioned this last year, but I think it's he feels a little bit more imperative this year with how much talent's in that inside receiver room is that every day for the tight ends is a battle to force their way onto the field. Like, hey, you don't want to go five wide. You don't want to go four wide. You want to have a tight end. Up. Look what we just did here. in this. So, like, every day they need to prove themselves because there's so much talent in that inside receiver room that, uh, you know, you want to try to get those guys on the field. But, you know, can you keep a tight end on the field? Or can the tight ends work their way, prove themselves that they should be on the field too? So, you know, I think the inside receivers, I'm, I'm fascinated to watch them all season. Yeah, to yeah. your point about the – the talent. Dennis Simmons said in all of his years coaching, this is the deepest room he's ever had. And so then that begs the follow-up question, how do you keep everyone happy? And he said, honestly, you really can't. We're going to play the best guys. and <laughs> It's going to be a, a struggle this year, but I mean, it's a good problem to have, obviously, but looking down the line, um, there are going to be some really good wide receivers who don't get as much time as they could in other places because this room is so deep. So that's certainly something to watch this year. Yeah, I think practice is going to be that much more important. Yep. You know, we heard it all last season when people were complaining about Brendan Rice playing early in the season. Said, you know, the coaches said 
he's the one that's performing at practice. And you saw what he was capable of at the end of the year. Um, and he said, yes, that was a good that was a good boost for him. You know, a good confidence boost. But he's now in. Caleb came to him afterwards. Um, and I have to listen back to the audio on this, um, so don't quote me on it. But he basically, Caleb came to him and said, "You've shown what you can do. Now you got to do it consistently." And so that's been his kind of focus this off season as well is that consistency again. And you know, uh, you asked a couple of different wide receivers, and I, you know, I asked Brendan Rice about it. You know, there's a vacancy now. Jordan Addison's gone. He was the number one guy all last year. He's the guy that Caleb was looking to first. Um, so, you know, what do you got to do or how important is it for you to be the number one guy? And Brennan Rice was like, yeah. eh, doesn't matter. You know, we're all out there. And that kind of seemed like that was kind of the common theme for everyone. And I asked, you know, Austin Jones said that this is the best wide receiver room in the country. Um, he thinks that they have the best wide receiver group that's in the, in the nation. So I asked him, I asked Brendan Rice, like, what can this offense do this year after with a Heisman Trophy winner, potentially with one of the best wide receiver groups in the nation? You, you know, you add Marshawn Lloyd in this. If the tight ends give you anything, you're ecstatic about that. And they've got some new pieces to add over there. I mean, this offense could be one of the best that we've seen, you know, in the last decade at least, um, you know, in, in college football. You know, they have that potential. Now, can they go out there and – consistently perform that'll be a big question can they you know can they catch the ball when it's thrown to them can they take care of it like they did last year they were so good at not turning the ball over both Caleb Williams and you know everyone not fumbling um, can they repeat that this year that'll be a big question for them that they'll have to address uh, as the season goes on as well yeah um, Kings fan said so Chrissy T got Wally pip popped again I think he means pipped no Chrissy T is literally in the next room and he was welcome to be on the show he chose not to be so he was not Wally pip this was a uh, he chose to do that. And then uh, Sager had, hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Could this offense be 2019 LSU level? Seems like we have so much depth on offense. And Shaka was just talking about that. So there's a there's a lot. I don't know. I mean, that's 60 touchdowns from Joe Burrow is a, that's a crap ton of touchdowns. But that's also Caleb Williams' goal this season. Yeah. He said that that was one of his and goals. he'll get more rushing touchdowns. ones than, than Joe Burrow got if you're going to do total touchdowns. But And the whole like, can he repeat as the Heisman winner? Like, I've been a voter for a while. Uh, you know, my buddies, the Heisman pundit, and, you know, covers this for a long time. And the the good thing about USC and Caleb Williams potentially repeating is that it doesn't look like it's a strong field. Like, all the major teams, you know, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, um, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, Georgias, like, they're all getting new quarterbacks. So it's not like you have someone coming back uh, in those situations. Caleb Williams only threw five picks. That's going to be hard to improve on, but he can get the numbers otherwise can be better for sure. Uh, and then USC can do, you know, get to the playoff for the first time. So I think that to me, it's more about the team gets success. And if he does that, then he has a decent chance to, uh, um, you know, win the Heisman again. So, but yeah, that it would have to, the levels of offense are going to need to be like, you know, approaching 2019 LSU, which was, Redonkulous. And um, this is why we spent so much time talking about the offense line, Ryan, because that's, that's going to be the thing that will help determine that is getting those positions solidified. Last year's offensive line was really good. Now can they continue to take another step forward 
while doing it with new faces. Yeah. You know, so that'll be the, a, a big challenge for them and keeping Caleb healthy. I mean, that's obviously the the thing that goes without saying is if he's not healthy, obviously he's not going to. Yeah. The offense is not going to be as productive without him in there, and he's not going to be able to put up the the numbers requisite to to win a Heisman if he's not healthy. So keeping him upright as much as possible, letting him do his thing. I mean, there was. Several people talked about him during the day um, since he obviously was not speaking because he spoke at the Pac-12 media day. Yeah. But uh, probably my favorite comment was... Um, Jamil Muhammad? No, Justin Didich actually oh, called okay. him Little Houdini. Oh, I like um, that. Okay. He said, and he just like, yeah, he's Little Houdini back there because he's always making magic happen. So, yeah, yeah that's a, a, a great little nugget there just uh, of the nicknames the offense line has for him. And then Jamil Muhammad talking about him saying he's the, the best quarterback that he's ever seen. Now, how many quarterbacks did Jamil Muhammad seen? Yeah. I don't know. But I thought it was also interesting. He called him Lincoln Riley on the field. Yeah. So basically, you know, that shows you the depth of knowledge that Caleb has of this offense as well. And I think the offense, still has a lot of bells and whistles that Lincoln Riley didn't fully use last year as he's trying to implement a new offense for a bunch of guys. So I think the offense, he can take it to another level. Um, and sometimes, you know, that might be, all right, staying a little bit simple as much as need be because they have so many playmakers this season. We uh, didn't talk about, when you talk about Miller Moss, the specialists were also available then. Any sort of quick, quick tidbits from the specialists? Um, Eddie Zaplicki called um, Jack Casasante uh, the an elite snapper. Ah, and you know they talked about. I talked to each of them about you know getting that connection between the two of them, and said it's a lot of offseason work and find out exactly where you know he likes the ball to be snapped. Um, but you, you know I, I think that Zaplicki comes here from Arizona State, goes from kind of a situation that's in complete turmoil, unknowns all over the place. So he's just super excited about being at USC and the fact that you know everyone's having fun every day. You know there's big expectations, but everyone's having fun, and that kind of tells you a lot about the culture that has been built um, in the you know what 16, 18 months now that Lincoln Riley's been hired. Yeah. Crazy. He's not, he's not going to kick, right? He's going to punt and do he's the punter, kickoff. And then he kickoff, also yeah. confirmed that he will be doing – he has kickoff uh, duties as well, um, which he had last year at Arizona State. So there's a couple other guys that are in the mix for that. Garth White coming back from an injury uh, could be in the mix as well. But the, he's the front runner to win that position. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move to the defensive side. Uh, the defensive linemen. I sat down with uh, Jack Sullivan. Watch him wearing number 99. He was at Purdue for like 10 years, and now he's coming to USC. Uh, just someone that, you know, he had a great mustache, someone you can easily root for. Uh, he was, you know, his decision, it was funny. He told me about the transfer portal. He was thinking, you know, he'd been at Purdue forever. They had a coaching change. He wasn't getting a lot of the specific details. He just would say of why he left. He was just specifically like, you know, USC was the, the right situation for me when he would talk about other programs. But he said, you know, I was thinking about going to the NFL and really on a whim. He's like, you know what? I'll just put my name in the portal. And it was sort of like his phone starts pulling up. And it was not like the Wyoming's of the world. It was the Alabama, you know, Alabama TCU was in the national championship. Obviously, USC um, and, you know, other big programs were calling him. And so he's going to be moving around, playing inside, playing outside, whatever he's got to do. He said, you know, you see him. He's in really good shape. Um, just a real – and he's never been to California before. This is his first time out here. So sort of just getting used to all that. And, you know, the, the kind of camaraderie that's there on the defensive line because they have a whole bunch of new faces and it's new for everybody. But it just seems like he's taken it all in stride. He wanted to go and show what he could do on a bigger stage. 
said USC was a perfect situation for him. So definitely watch for 99. I think he can make some plays for USC in there. We'll see where he plays, uh, inside out, whatever. But uh, just someone you're going to, like, USC fans, I think they'll you'll wrap your arms around him. You're going to want to you want to see him succeed. Like maybe give him a big bear hug? Oh, speaking of, <laughs> who, talked to, who talked to the bear? Let's put bear up I there. mean, bear, a bear talking, talking about Jack Sullivan potentially moving inside, outside. Bear Alexander said that, you know, he could potentially play three different spots on the defensive line as well. So um, I think you're going to see those guys move around until they solidify exactly what they're looking for in fall camp. Anthony Lucas has been doing some rush in as well as still playing defensive line as well. So you're, you're seeing guys moving around. Keon Bars is probably the only guy that's not moving a bunch. Like He's the tank in the middle. He's going to stay there. And he was hilarious. I enjoyed talking with him today as well um, about being home and all that stuff. But he's also you know excited about teaching the young guys. And like learning from learning from Bear Alexander and learning from Anthony Lucas, even though they're younger guys, he said, you know, that's one of the things he, he's liked about being at USC is learning from all the different people around him, him teaching um, the, the younger guys, but also learning from young guys, learning from Jack Sullivan. What can he take away from each of these people to continue to get better? So Keon Bars kind of stood out in that regard. Um, he, he was just he was just excited. You know, he's excited about the season, excited about uh, the potential of this team and what they can do and he said you know uh, asked him what's the successful season winning a national championship what about for yourself winning a national championship um so uh, it, it'll be a couple different people said that so you know that is definitely the goal it's not hey we want to try to make it to the pac-12 championship the goal the standard has been raised the goals have been raised as well yeah not a ton to add for me barry alexander mentioned how when he entered the portal he kind of walked it back a little bit but he said I think I called USC first. He just wants to be in LA. He wants to be. He wanted to be at USC so bad. So, I think that's huge for your program. When a guy who you've written about the shotgun, the position that USC has maybe struggled to recruit mm-hmm. the most in the last decade, a guy who won a national championship, who some services had him as a five-star prospect last cycle, wants to be in your program. That says a lot about Lincoln Riley. Says a lot about USC. And I thought that was interesting, just how badly Bear Alexander wanted to be at USC, a program that didn't really have a good defense last year. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he revealed that he was actually a, he called it a secret commit <laughs> instead of a silent commit, which I kind of like better. I, oh, I, Chris Trevino said it, yeah. uh, but I think I, I like it as well. Um, that he was a, a secret commit to Lincoln Riley when he was at Oklahoma, coming out of high school. So, now, if you know the backstory of Barry Alexander, he was he committed to Texas A&M, he decommitted, he committed to Georgia, decommitted, he eventually committed back to Georgia. So there was a lot of uh, ups and downs in his recruitment. So for him to say that he called USC first in the portal, I think that says a lot as well. And he said, you know, he talked about leaving Georgia and said the main reason was he just wanted more playing time and wanted more significant reps because it, at uh, at Georgia they were basically using him as a third down, a pass rush specialist. So. I think the opportunity to come here and be an every down guy, and he has that potential. Now, where does he line up? That's going to be the fun part to see. He said he's at six foot three and three hundred pounds, um, so he's going to be a guy that you can use in the middle of the line as well. Anthony Lucas. I know there's been a lot of talk about his weight back and forth on the peristyle. He told me he's at 260 pounds. Yeah, not 295. <laughs> not 295 that he's listed at by USC. Um, still looks swole. I don't yeah. know if, uh, if that has changed. But I asked him, is that where you want to be? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. All right. Like he didn't really like say this is the the way I want to play out, and he's he's kind of just like whatever they want kind of thing. So um, he's just going with it. It didn't seem like 
he had a specific weight that he wanted to be at. So I think that kind of lends to they don't really know exactly where they're going to play him at right yet, was this, which is something – which is a good thing because there's the versatility, but it's also something that needs to be figured out during fall camp. Yeah. Uh, you, you need to – if he's going to add on a little bit of weight before the season starts, you need to make sure that that's happening um, and, and can, can do that. But he's kind of bouncing back and forth and being the hybrid guy. But, I mean, the biggest thing is there's just – so much more talent. Oh my God! It's on that completely different. It's it's a whole different room now. And like, now, granted, we want to talk you know, on a media day. You want to talk to the new guys, but none of the returners were there on the defense. So line. Solomon Tulealapupu was there. We got to talk well, about he's, him. Well, he's he's not a returning defensive lineman. He was That's a rush true. in last year. Yeah. And now we should mention Solomon Tulealapupu said he's Chris Torino tweeted this out, but 265 pounds before breakfast. Now, he played last year at 245, um, but he, he talked about how Jack Sullivan's been a big help for him coming in. So I think having Jack Sullivan and Keon Bars come in, the experience those two guys have is going to be huge for Barry Alexander, for Anthony Lucas, these two guys that are you know are freak athletes but are inexperienced you know Barry alexander got 160 something snaps i think that's not that many and no. then he played for georgia had some great plays for georgia nine tackles though for the season now you don't expect your defensive tackle to have a ton of tackles but it's not like he was out there every down all the time right. the same thing with anthony lucas played a little bit to have keon bars and jack sullivan two guys that can teach those and teach those young guys and you know make them better as they go um, i think is really exciting for for USC because you're not forcing, okay, you're talented. We have to have you play right now. We have to have you be a star right now. No, they can grow behind those guys as they're playing as well. So I think there's just so much more depth on the defensive line. Talking to those guys, I think, really tells it. And having them talk about each other. Keon Bars asked him about Andy Lucas. He's like, that dude's just a freak. Just a freak. <laughs> It's like it, you know, he he I, I, he didn't really say it, but I could kind of read in between the lines. It's like he may not always use the right technique, he may not always do the exact right thing he's supposed to do on a play, but he just gets there because he's a freak. Yeah. And so as he continues to learn and continues to develop, it starts putting those pieces along with it with the athleticism he already has. Um, you know, you, you, it's one of those guys you go watch out. You just see the potential that that is already there. All right, let's go to the defensive backs. Um, I got sticks. I got uh, Caleb Bullock and also uh, Max Williams. I think he's FKA sticks now, formerly yeah. known as. He's now 195 pounds, would like to be 200. And I asked him what he came in at. He's like, that's a good question. He's like, I think it was 165. So he's put on a lot of weight since coming in there. You could just see his arms. Like he's, you know, he's been a good leader. Uh, he had a cool hat on today. It was fun. <laughs> um, and Katie, Katie Ryan, the... Uh, Sports information person, she let him keep his hat on. He liked that. Uh, Max Williams was funny because it was just like he was just smiling. And it's, a, you know, the depth in the defensive backfield is crazy. You're just talking to those guys. They, they understand there's a lot of dudes. Uh, but Max was like, every offseason he's had surgery. He's, you know, doing rehab. He's not been able to like go through player run practices and do all this fun stuff. He was, he was just so excited to be like healthy at this time and, you know, just feeling really good in his body and being able to go in and, and compete. Um, you know, he'll, he, he was doing nickel safety, you know, we'll see where they kind of move him around. And, uh, Caleb Bullock just continues to be a great leader back there and, you know, trying to help some of the younger guys. And, and they, they all talked about the competition and the PRPs talking trash with the wide receivers and everything. So it was cool to kind of hear from those guys, but, uh, both look like they're in really good shape. I don't know what what you what your thoughts were from any of the DBs or coaches that you guys talked to. I talked to Alex Grinch, and I spent I think his whole time answering questions in that scrum. He 
talked a lot. At one point, they asked him if he was coaching for his job this year, and he said, you know, I feel pressure every year, kind of played it off all cool. Just in terms of personnel, I can start there. So I asked him, we know Kalen Bullock is going to be one safety. Who do you anticipate being in the competition to play alongside him? First, he mentioned Max Williams. Then he mentioned Bryson Shaw. And then the next two names were Zion Branch and Christian Pierce. I think in an ideal world, Zion Branch is that guy. If he progresses the way they want him to, he's fully healthy, ready to go. We'll see in fall camp. I, I think they're relying on him to and take nothing away from Max Williams or Bryson Shaw, but I, I feel like the, the ceiling, the, the best-case scenario for this defense would, would be Zion Branch playing there. And then I also asked about Christian Roland Wallace because talking to Mason Cobb at Pac-12 Media Day, he mentioned how Christian Roland Wallace has been getting moved around a little bit. I said, where do you envision his best role being? And he said, we're going to play the f- best five guys in the secondary. So whether that's Christian at corner or whether him, him at nickel, we could see him at either of those spots. I still have a suspicion he's going to play nickel, so that we'll, we'll see how that goes down the line. But uh, I thought those were the two most important nuggets. I'm happy to talk about other stuff with Alex Grinch in a little bit too, but uh, just in terms of personnel and where USC fans had some questions on the Paris style and stuff, I wanted to make sure I asked those questions, and those were the answers. So we'll see, but just that's kind of the temperature heading into fall camp. Yeah, and Christian Roland Wallace tried to talk to him a little bit. He said that you know he's healthy now. That's the biggest thing. I, I think just overall, the team going into fall camp now, they could suffer devastating injury after devastating injury the first week of camp. But going into camp, seems like the team is pretty much all healthy right now. Uh, maybe there's some nicks and bruises somewhere along the line, but anyone we talk to, anyone that there's been major concerns about, whether it be Damani Jackson, whether it be Christian Roland Wallace, whether it be Romello Height, everyone seems to be 100% healthy heading into this fall camp. Hopefully it stays that way. You want to see everyone be as healthy as possible. Christian Roland Wallace told me he's healthy, 100%, ready to go. He said he was, he was able to... Um, you know, take a step forward during the spring because he was able to get a lot of mental reps to help him learn the defense, uh, you know, the Alex Grinch defense. So we'll see where he's at. We'll see where he lines up. And then, you know, the question then becomes if he plays nickel, okay, how does it shake out for the cornerback position? That's, you know, we thought he would be in that competition along with Jacoby Covington, Damani Jackson, and Sierra Wright. Um, and, you know, you got four guys. So I talked to Dante Williams and asked him, and again, the thing that came up was consistency. Who's going to be the most consistent? Who's going to perform day in and day out? Not have a great day and then an okay day and then a bad day. But if you have a great day and you have a letdown, the letdown should be a good day. So how can you do that? So that was one of the things that Dante Williams said. But he said that you know they've got some talented bodies. But he said he's kind of thin at the position. He said if they do lose someone, someone has to consume those practice reps. So you know they're trying to you know they. If they have four guys they feel comfortable with, then four guys will play. So you, I think you'll see a rotation at that spot again this season. We saw that a little bit last year with Sierra Wright and J- Jacoby Covington uh, splitting some time during the season, and Jacoby Covington overtook him at the end of the year. But Dante Williams is all about competition. He's always been that way, and you can tell his group follows that lead. They're all about competition. And talking to Damani Jackson, you know, I asked him about the quarterback competition. I said, you guys, you know, talk trash about it. Do you, you know, he said, no, there's no, there's basically no talk about it, but they're all helping each other out. Um, they all got that camaraderie. And when I talked to Dante Williams about, you know, why is that important at the cornerback position? Cause you're on an Island, you know, that's not usually a position where you need to know right, exactly what your other cornerback is doing. Like you do on the defense line or offensive line when you're running games or blocks and blocking schemes and stuff. And he said, 
because they have to help get each other better every day in practice. And so, you know, if they're competing in practice, but they're helping each other, then that's going to make them all that much better. So I think that was kind of the thing that came out of uh, talking with him. Damani Jackson felt like he was overthinking at times last year and was still concerned with his leg. And even I think this spring he said that he was still concerned a little bit. And, you know, when he would do certain things, he's like, okay, is my knee going to be fine? He told me that he's not even thinking about his knee going to this fall camp. Said he feels perfectly healthy. Uh, he's not thinking about it at all. And, you know, he gave a lot of credit to Dante Williams for helping teaching teaching him last year because at modern day it was basically like go out and guard your dude and lock him up. Now it's, all right, you got to learn this technique, this technique. What are you going to do in this defense versus that defense? So I thought it was really interesting. He gave Dante Williams a ton of credit for you know helping teach him last year to make him a better player, even though he didn't pl- play a ton. And those times that he did get some reps, taking stuff away from that that he can use this year. So I, I think Damani Jackson's a guy to watch out for, too, as a potential breakout candidate. Um, yeah, the, the Alex Grinch was the most popular scrum. Uh, I think tw- you tweeted that out, Shotgun. Um so, Connor, anything else from from uh, that one that would stand out to you? Yeah, the most important thing about last year that he talked about is he was disgusted with the fourth quarter defense and the losses. That really, you could tell, kept him up at night and really upset him, and it's understandable. The, the fourth quarter defense last year really upset him. So how is he going to make changes? He talked about watching practice from last year in the offseason to kind of see what went wrong and how guys finished practice, and if they looked tired in practice, how could he expect them to perform well in a game against a elite opponent? So he took some things away from how USC practiced last year, and he might make some changes with that. But I think, by and large, the fact that there's so much more depth and the fact that last year did go so poorly, he has a chip on his shoulder, and between that chip and the depth of this year's group, of course the defense is going to be better. The question is how much better it's going to be. I anticipate, I don't want to sit here and predict some major turnaround top 10 defense in the country, but I think it's going to be a lot better, and I think it's going to make a big difference. It's part of the reason why I'm so high on USC heading into the year. It's not only their offense. I think defensively they're going to be a lot better, and Grinch answered all the questions today. I thought he had a nice uh, 20-minute media scrum because answered a lot of tough ones and um i'm buying into the defense i think they're gonna have a better year nice uh all right then we got one last group the linebacker group um anything who did i talk to oh i talked to jamil muhammad yeah jamil muhammad a little bit uh he was fun so like we mentioned 265 now a lot of talk about him being a former quarterback and uh i thought that was kind of cool where one of the things he mentioned is like you know being in his position he can look at a quarterback's eyes, and if he sees the, court, the eyes sort of like up, which means he's looking downfield, it's probably going to be a pass where he he could just do stuff like that. He said, with Caleb Williams, like you already mentioned, he mentioned he's the best quarterback he's ever seen. He's like, he makes it harder for you to do stuff like that. But him being a former quarterback, and he was just a no-nonsense guy. He was just like, I just got to ball out. Like he was getting first-team reps, you know, in the spring, and this guy from Georgia State, like who is this guy? Coming in, um, you know, I put on weight, looks a lot better. He's just someone that's just like, he just wants to go out there and ball. And uh, very sharp guy. You know, he talked about, you know, his football IQ. He thought, you know, the the intelligence factor. But you don't want to be thinking when you're out there. It's more instinctual. But he knows what to do because of his knowledge. But you can't rely on that as much when you're playing. It's more like this reaction. That knowledge, like, is wisdom in your – and it just makes you go to the right place or do the right thing. So – for someone that's kind of come out of nowhere that you never really heard of and to be... Let's go! 
It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Potentially a huge, you know, uh, part of this defense is pretty impressive. It's a deep group uh, for those edge rushers, but I would not, you know, count him out. I mean, he's just looked really good to me. The most interesting part of talking to Roy Manning about the Russians, he mentioned the depth, and I said, ideally, what's the rotation look like? How many guys in an ideal world, if everyone's practicing really well, if everyone's playing really well, how many guys do you want to get into the game? And he said, in his 14 years of coaching, this is the deepest Russian group he's ever had, and he could see four guys potentially rotating in in an ideal world. Now, during the season, will everything work out that way? Probably not, but I think that just speaks to how good this room is, that he could see four players rotating in, and I, I think that's huge for USC. So we mentioned Jamil Muhammad, but it's also Romello Height, who's now healthy. Sam Green had a huge spring. Braylon Shelby was the top defensive recruit for USC's high school class, and then Solomon Bird seems to be the forgotten man, and he had a pretty good season last year, all things considered. So that's five guys right there who are really, really talented and could play a big role. I, I think Muhammad will play the biggest, obviously, who's behind him is in question. Um, just the depth of the group, though, really stuck out to me. And I, the Coach Manning saying it was the deepest group he's had in 14 years of coaching really stood out to me. Yeah, and, and he talked about you know the the impact of the transfer portal. You know, he said they went to the transfer portal. He said they didn't do a good job last year at his position, not in a good enough job for him. And said they went into the transfer portal looking for pass rushers, and said they wanted guys that can get to the quarterback. So that's where Jamil Muhammad comes in. But you also add back Romello Height, and I think that makes the, that position group that much more dynamic if he's back and healthy, um, because he can do some things that are that are freaky off the edge. Um, but he just hasn't had a chance to fully show it because the shoulder injury just completely uh, debilitated him last year and forced him to have to have surgery. So you know, if he's got the deepest group. How many of those guys does he want to use? He's got talented guys up front. How, how much do you rotate? How can you keep those guys fresh? And if they are fresh, then that makes that defense that much scarier if they're actually getting to the quarterback and causing an impact because that position became a non-factor at times last year and just didn't and it's supposed to be one of the more important positions in this defense as far as what it's able to do the versatility of being able to drop into coverage at times to be able to get to the quarterback but mainly get to the quarterback and force the issue um, to help out the secondary so we'll see how that goes I mean Jamil Muhammad I, I think you know Ryan called him a no-nonsense player so he's going to get after it uh, he just he, he seems fun he seems fun to me he talked about being a cerebral player and said he goes and picks Caleb Williams' brain, uh, you know, about you know what to read uh, on the quarterbacks and just you know he is a former quarterback and he says, hey, I'm, I may never play quarterback again, but he likes uh, picking Caleb Williams' brain about how what he's looking at on the defense and different things like that. So he's an interesting guy, um, and you know, Romello Height, fully healthy. Say it again, fully healthy. So he's a guy that I was really high on last year, having watched his tape from Auburn, his pressure rates, and those different things. 
can he now get back? Um, you know, they basically they slow played him in the spring. Roy Manning told me said he they probably could have uh, you know they probably could have practiced him then. But wanted to make sure he's fully healthy. He is going into the fall, so we'll see what happens coming from him. Yeah, um, real quick on Muhammad too. I didn't mean to say he wasn't fun. Like he was, he was a very fun interview and just fun to talk to him and just how forthcoming he is and how he talks about football and he loves it. But when it was when it came to like, hey, what's the goals? And it was just like that's what it changes. Like just you know, go you know, gonna go play. We're gonna like make make stuff happen. You know, so it was just when it switched to that, it just seemed like he was all business when it comes to playing on the field. So that's what you want to see. Um, and he's a he's a fun one. Another note on Romello Height. He said that you know the guys in that room, the Russian room, um, and kind of the defense alignment don't really have defined roles right now. So that's Anthony Lucas as well. That's Corey Foreman. Um, so he said he could end up playing with his hand on the ground as well, Romello Height. So I, I think there's you know there's some you can move those guys around a little bit. There's versatility in those those two position groups as far as the defensive end versus the rush in, um, and you know it's going to be finding the best guys for that. Uh, we also talked with the linebackers. You know this we've talked a lot about the rush ins uh, so far, but we also talked about the the actual middle linebackers and Brian Odom. Uh, you know talking about. The, that there could be some movement there as well. He said Harry yeah. Gentry could play both Mike and Will. And I think that's notable because we've all looked at it and said, Mason Cobb looks like a guy that's going to be a starter. You know, the fact they sent him to Pac-12 Media Day, the fact he's become a leader immediately. Roy Manning talked about his potential as a blitzer as well to get to the quarterback. Another, hey, we need to get pass rushers. Um, but he looks like he's a guy that's kind of locked up a spot. Well, Harry Gentry, fully healthy. Fully healthy, guys. Let's throw that out there one more time. Um, but he's a guy that, you know, if he was fully healthy, we would anticipate he would be in the start, but he missed all spring. So now, is it him? Is it Shane Lee? Well, if Eric Gentry's practicing at two positions, maybe you see a rotation like you saw last year. So Shane Lee's not written off like some people have kind of thought, like, oh, he's getting replaced and he's not going to play anymore. Or if it's not Shane Lee, is it Rajon Davis? Is it Tackett Curtis? There's five guys for two positions. So how are you going to move those guys around? Is there someone who's going to be a specific third down guy that's a better pass rusher or a better in pass coverage? I think now you just have more options. That's across the whole board on defensive side is you have more options. Is you know I think at, at points last year, Alex Grinch, you know they talk about competition at practice, but at some point you, you go – yeah, we really can't put that next guy in. He's just not at that level. So we can't threaten a guy like, hey, you're not practicing hard enough. We're going to put somebody else in. Like, you can't really do that when you don't have the depth. But this year, it's like, if you don't get your ass in gear, you're not going to play. And they can seriously do that and say, you know, if it's Bear, you can say, well, Jack Sullivan's right behind you. Or, you know, if it's, you know, whoever. You know, there's a guy there um, that you're probably rotating in with a little bit now, and they want to do some rotation to keep some of those guys happy. I think you'll see a lot of that early in the season. And guys got to prove themselves on Saturdays as much as well, which they couldn't necessarily do last year, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, no good stuff there. Um, Eric Gentry, I think he's up to 223 pounds, he said. There was some talk about. Him putting on weight and stuff, he feels really good. Um, so yeah. he feels the best he's ever felt, and he said he's going to be more calm this year, which I thought was an interesting comment. Um, just that you know, normally he's a very you know psyched up, you know, he's a very emotional, vocal leader. He said he's a little bit more mellow. He's kind of attacking this uh, this fall camp with a little bit more mellow as well. And then one quick note for Rajon Davis. 
He said that Lincoln Riley pulled him aside after spring and said he's one of the best guys they have. Now he has to go prove it. So, I mean, if your head coach is telling you that, that's a, that's a you know, we want you to be a guy is kind of the thing. So they're looking for him to make plays consistently. And if he does that, um, then maybe he's a guy that's in that rotation as well. Yeah, know? and he, he spoke to me, uh, gave me that quote. I also asked him, because remember back in January, the media asked Coach Riley, and they said, hey, how come a guy like Rajon Davis didn't get more of a chance? And Coach Riley said, did we make a mistake? Maybe. But if you're giving us 50-50 whether we should start yeah. you or not, then you might not play. And so I asked Rajon about that. I said, what did that quote mean to you? How did you feel after that? And he said, look, the writing was on the wall. He, Coach talked to me, explained what he meant. And now this spring practice, I, I gave everything I had. I, I felt like I didn't make it 50-50. I felt like I made it 100. So he feels like he's done everything he can to put himself in a position to play. And now it's in the coaching staff's hands. So that was encouraging to see, too, a guy who was kind of facing some adversity a little bit, especially at the end of the year with Coach Riley's comments. How did he respond? He practiced as hard as he could. It ended up finishing with Coach Riley pulling him aside, saying he had a great spring, and he feels like he has a real chance to contribute this fall. So I thought that was a cool development, too, from today. Nice. And Touchdown USC says, does the rush end play against the right or left tackle? And if I'm not mistaken, it's more of the side of the field where you have the, the will is the weak side, so he's playing against where there's no tight end, I believe, and then the rush end will be on the tight end, the strong side, the tight end side, usually. It's not left or right. It's more about the formation of the strength. Yeah, strength the, the, Is formation. that correct? Yep. Chuck, I, I should have just let you answer that because you do it <laughs> no, better. You, but. You we're exactly correct. Okay. The strength of the formation, and usually the rush end is lined up over the tight end. Not always. You know, Sometimes they'll flip to try to attack different weaknesses and stuff, but that's usually the case. Um, we're, so fall camp starts tomorrow morning at 6.30. So you know, like Shotgun said, less than 12 hours from now. We're not going to let like preview preview. I mean, we got to talk to all the players and stuff today. Tomorrow we'll just get Lincoln Riley. There's not going to be pads. Uh, but yeah, fall camp start tomorrow, 30 days until the kickoff of uh, of the season against San Jose State because the USC has the week zero game. So we'll have all kinds of coverage, but you'll be seeing a lot of interviews from everything we've done today, stories and more analysis going up on the site. We have all those videos up there too, so you can kind of check that stuff out. But we'll be covering fall camp. Shotgun will be there tomorrow. We'll have photos. We'll do videos. Um, and then as much as we can do. And then, you know, it gets a little more exciting once they put pads on and stuff. But we... Two or three practices a week, I think, Connor. Is that what we have access to? So not everyone, but we'll be able to go to a bunch, get photos and videos from all of them, I believe. And then depending on the day, we can talk to either like Lincoln Riley or offense, defense, uh, stuff like that. But I did want to get to Colorado real quick. Um, you know, USC, it was a little over a month ago, a year ago, that USC and UCLA decided to leave the Pac-12. I was at Pac-12 Media Day. Connor was there. Um, I do a podcast of champions. We did an emergency podcast yesterday when the news broke that Colorado was going to be the first domino to fall and leave. And we just felt like the Pac-12 was teetering on the edge of existence or not. Um, and it depended on who you talked to. There was reporters, national reporters that are sort of being fed information by the Big 12 and the Pac-12 was going to die. And there's other reporters being fed information by the, the, the I'm sorry, the Big, the Big 12 and other ones by the Pac-12 that say, you know, everything's going to be fine. We heard from Klyovkov, and he was saying, you know, from the very beginning that the 10 schools are going to be happy. A deal is imminent. We would have announced one, but we want to focus on football. But, the, you know, the reality is a deal, a television deal wasn't imminent. And, uh, it, you know, they, they've kept really quiet about it for a year. And we haven't heard from Klyovkov like this calendar year until Pac-12 Media Day. And he didn't talk about what we wanted to hear about, which was 
this media rights deal. And from the reports I've seen today um, and from the last couple of days, Colorado just was getting tired of waiting. And the Big 12 made a full share offer where if you remember Nebraska, um, uh, Missouri, uh, not Missouri, um, Nebraska, Maryland, Rutgers, when they joined the Big Ten, it took them years, I think four or five, six years to get a full share. USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten because it's a big move, full share. Texas, Oklahoma, SEC, full share. They're giving Colorado, who was 1-11 last year, a full share to go to the Big 12 because it really is another just blow, in my opinion, to the Pac-12. Uh, there is a path to survival. Basically, you have to bring in San Diego State, which is now going to cost you double what it would have cost you, uh, like I don't know, uh, three weeks ago, because of the you know the the buyout and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but this is it's it's sad because I love the Pac-12 and it was you know I know that a lot of USC fans don't, but just covering the the conference has been fun and I like doing it like the Pac-12 uh, podcast because I get to learn about the schools that USC is going to end up playing. But and and I know George Klyovkov was dealt a a really tough hand, but you get a bad hand in poker, you don't need to lose your entire stack. And I feel like that's what's happening now. That he did get a bad hand, but you could have you could have salvaged something out of it. You could have just added San Diego State. You could have got the best right media rights deal you could have done and kept everybody together by extending it and by telling everyone the longer we wait, the more people are coming to the yeah. table. What a that misfire. A huge misfire. And like basically Colorado had a deadline of the end of this month. You're a few days away. And they were like, all right, we're out. Dion has the connections to Texas. He'd want to go. But the head coach, as, as powerful as it is, he's not making this call. This is coming from the top. So, uh, And I thought um, the president of is George Stefano, I believe his name is from Colorado, was asked today during the press conference, like, hey, what, um, you know, do you have any, you know, did second thoughts about going to the Pac-12 when you did in 2010 because they really haven't had a lot of success there. They, they won the, the South once and that was it. And he said the main reason was, you know, we have a huge Southern California alumni base and that was a big part of it. But USC and UCLA are gone. So what? that's kind of pointless now. So I, I've liked George Klyovkov when I've met him, but I feel like He's messed this up pretty bad. So I, that's my little kind of rant on this, or maybe not little. Um, Connor, you want to give us some thoughts? I know you were there too. Sure. I think the fact that it seems like he was blindsided by Colorado leaving, that is a huge problem. And I think grounds for people in the Pac-12 to want a new commissioner. How can you go up one day on stage and say, we're all unified, we're all in this for the long haul, the longer we wait, the better it's going to get, and then about a week later, a school leaves after you say we're all unified. <laughs> so he, of course, maybe he had an inkling of, of knowledge that this was going to happen, but I don't know. I think, Ryan, to your point, if the best deal possible for the Pac-12 was exclusively streaming, but it got, got the schools the money needed to stay together, then you have to do that and just deal with the bad press later. Get the money and, and go from there. The fact that they still don't have a deal now and a, a school's on the way out. Imagine if you're a media partner. Hey, ESPN, Pac-12, we want we you know let's let's go back to the negotiating table. ESPN, they have a new bargaining chip. You you just lost a team. We're not going to give you more money. We're going to give you less money now. So I think this move, Klyovkov should have seen it. It's not his fault. USC and UCLA left. I think it is his fault that Colorado left. And I don't really know if the conference is going to be together looking ahead because I wouldn't be surprised if Arizona jumps ship and maybe even Washington and Oregon, if the big 10 isn't ready for them, why would they stay on a sinking ship? I'm sure the big 12 would open or would welcome them with open arms. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with the Pac-12. I mean, they put out a statement that said, um, it's not going to change anything. We're still unified. Uh, we're still work- focused on the media rights deal. And then we will focus on expansion after we announce the media rights deal. But the longer you wait, yeah. the more the more pressure on your big name teams to be like, I can't I can't go down with the ship. I need to go and find where I'm going to be able to stay competitive because as you lose Colorado, okay, you lose Denver versus San Diego if they do get San Diego State. Well, Denver's actually a bigger market. Now, maybe you look at it and say, oh, San Diego State's the entire Southern California. No, they're not. No. They're not the entire Southern no. California. That's well, and, not and that they whole botched market. that whole the whole deal. If San Diego State was ready to go and the Pac-12 didn't have their deal, yeah. so they couldn't accept them, which is another huge mistake by the administrators there. And now it's going to cost double and they don't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> KH said they just released a statement saying the Pac-12 will embrace expansion. I, obviously, yeah. we're doing the show. I, I saw it. That's what I was referencing. Uh, I haven't seen that. But yeah, like so that so they've changed the order. He made the order very clear. It's media rights deal, grant of rights to lock everybody in, and then expansion. It's like, well, now somebody's left. The analogy I gave on the podcast with Champions yesterday, get your thoughts on this, is like if you have a girlfriend and she's waiting for you to propose and you're like, I'm saving up. I got enough money for a ring. But I want to get a great ring, and but she's really itching for me to propose. I'm like, she can wait. You know, I'm just going to keep saving up, and I'm going to get a better. I'm going to I'm get that best ring possible, and then by the by the time you're almost there to get this ring, I, I, I'm going to get this ring, the one I want. And she's like, peace out. You haven't you asked me to marry yet, and I feel like there was a deal to be had. There was something, and it's uh, this is George. In my opinion, this is George Klyovkov. Is like Brett Yormark came in. Totally undercut them by jumping ahead of them in line for the media rights deal. That was a that was a shrewd move, and it really, you know, it took away some of your partners. Like they they lined up ESPN and Fox. Now they don't need as much inventory, and now the Pac-12 is in a bad spot. Plus, the the industry was collapsing, and you're obviously like local, uh, you know, these like Bally Sports, all these like little local sports networks are going under and it's and ESPN's laying off a lot of people and and all that. So all that was kind of going on and it put you know the Pac-12 in a bad spot. There was a deal to be had though and you felt like he needed to get a deal that was good enough or beat like you were trying to like I don't I don't I feel like the tier one stuff was done, but you were trying to add like enough pieces to to make it look a little bit better. Just <laughs> almost a safe face. That's my take on this. And by doing so, you really were just trying to win by like just a little more, a little more, a little more, instead of just taking what you could do, take your lumps and like, yeah, we didn't get as much money as the big 12, but we're, we're better at this or whatever. And you were trying to hit the home run and you struck out, you know, massively. And it's, I feel like this is, there's a chance, you know, you add San Diego state at $35 million. They got to pay to leave the mountain West now. Um, the whole that's that's kind of crazy, and keep them alive. But you can't go less than nine. Like nine, you could do with eight conference games, but it's still gonna be hard um, to do that and, and add another conference game. It's a it's a mess, and I feel bad. Uh, but I, I just don't know. There's it's basically like join the Mountain West, merge with them, something. And I don't think the Big Ten just had media days. Uh, you know um, what's his name, Petiti, the the new commissioner for the Big Ten. Uh, made it pretty clear, like uh, Kevin Warren was a big, you know, expansion guy, and I don't think the presidents were over it. They're like, look, we're big enough; we don't need any more. I think they would love to bring in Washington and Oregon, but I don't think they're ready right now. He made it very clear that the focus from the the leadership is 
integrate USC and UCLA. And then you could kind of look at stuff going forward. So I think Washington and Oregon will be fine, but they might be kind of screwed for the next few years. I just don't see a great landing spot for them in the Big Ten. That's where they're going to want to be eventually, but it might be a little while. And I think, you know, USC powers that be probably didn't want Oregon and Washington joining right away. They they want a little time in the new spot first before they kind of bring them in. But it would be better for USC to have some West Coast partners, but it's probably better for USC to kind of go alone with UCLA, for, you know, with UCLA, just in my opinion. But anyway, kind of big rant there. <laughs> My final thoughts on the whole thing, yeah. years from now, it's just what a lesson in journalism between all the Pac-12 people who are saying everything I'm hearing from my sources in the CEO group and from presidents, they want to stay together, they're going to stay together, they're going to stay together. What happens when your sources who are people in power, A, don't know what they're talking about, or B, <laughs> are lying to you? Yeah. You can have all these sources, but if you're not able to go through what is true and, and what might not be true and at least give um, – you know, some credence to the other side of the argument, you're in trouble. And I think that's a huge lesson here. Yeah, you can have all the sources you want and they can be in high places in the Pac-12, but if those people are lying to you or they don't know what they're talking about, you have these sources, but they're worthless. They're yeah. lying to you. And to be fair, when we're talking about sources, like if Cotter hears something from on the recruiting side or Shotgun gets something on the baseball team, like you talk to coaches, you talk to administrators, like these are people that are just normal when we're sports reporters these are the people we talk to that are our sources and you have, it's kind of a, a range of what you're doing when you're talking about TV rights deals and moving conferences. Like the head coach doesn't know what's no, going no. on. Like you could be the head coach's best friend and probably don't know that much. It's like, this is presidents. This is trustees. Like there's a lot of stuff going on and they're not the most tied in when it it's, comes and to And that's another sports. problem too. The, the, the leadership in the PAC 12. I mean, even Carol Fultz, remember, she had the opportunity to say, let's have some Big 12 teams come in. And she said, oh, no, no, we don't want to do that. That was before USC was going to join the Big 10. If, imagine if Texas or if some of the Big 12 teams had joined the Pac-12, they, they would be fine. So who, if you're the Pac-12, are you listening to to get your information? If, if it's these university presidents, they might not – they might think that they know what they're talking about, but they really, in the grand scheme of things, they're academics. They're not yeah. in athletics. Crazy. All right. Well, we want to get to some questions. We're going to have to rapid fire this because we got to take Chris to dinner. Um, but I got a bunch of questions teed up here, Shadi. Uh, any really important ones I miss, we can do afterwards. But Eddie says, uh, why didn't you go to Big, Big Ten Media Day? George Klayovkov canceled your trip in hopes of keeping the podcast of champions alive. <laughs> uh, no, I was going to go, but then USC added the media day. Plus, to be fair... I sort of like double booked myself. I was on this fishing trip and my flight was going to have to move my flight or whatever. Uh, but it was just going to be a lot. I was in Vegas. I was in Mexico fishing. And then I was going to go to Indianapolis. Plus, But the USC Media Day, I had to be here for this. So uh, that kind of made it impossible for me. To... We did have some representation, though. Dan Weber. Uh, Dan Weber's there. Not, not far away. So he's had a couple pieces that we put up. Uh, we'll have one more. Um, talking with uh, Matt Castle, actually. Yeah, new, uh, new analyst for... NBC? I think NBC. NBC. I think it's NBC, yeah. NBC. But yeah, Dad put up a couple of pieces already, so good stuff there, USC representation. And Katie Ryan, we're talking about sports information, she was in Indianapolis, and Dan got to see her, and then she flew in this morning for media day, so it's been a busy... Uh, wow. She did both. I wasn't going to do both. <laughs> uh, Singer says, uh, which player were you all most impressed with today during media day, whether that means improved physique, the way he spoke, or something else? Um, since we don't get to, we don't get to talk to everyone... I really love talking to Jack Sullivan. I mean, there was a bunch of guys that were good. I, I'd be number one. Who would who'd you guys say? 
Physique-wise, I would go with uh, probably Jonah Monheim still stands out to me. He uh, looked really good. I mean, just comparing him to, I mean, again, it's five or six years ago when I first met him, but it's just so different, um, and he just he looks like a dude. Um, it's always great to talk to Justin Edich. He's he's a great person to talk to. But Keon Bars is the guy that you know was kind of new for me talking to, and I really enjoyed the conversations I had with him. My favorite conversation was with Dorian Singer asking him about going from a walk-on now to a potential NFL draft pick and just what it was like in those days when he didn't have any offers and like how proud of yourself are you? I asked him and he said, I'm not done yet. I, I have bigger fish to fry. People think I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. I'm not even there yet. So I, I thought that was a really cool interview and it was really motivational. I took a lot away from that. Very cool. Okay. Connor's next actually going to be plastering those quotes <laughs> up on his <laughs> yeah, wall I'm not done yet. every day when he wakes up. He's slapping it on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty Taylor, thinking back six months, how surprising it is that the Colorado versus Oregon or Washington is the next domino and likely final nail in the coffin for the Pac-12. Good point. My my analogy was uh, you know, growing up in Western Pennsylvania, there was a lot of uh, before I got to Milford, Mass, Connor, because uh, Connor, I literally from towns <laughs> next to each other in Massachusetts, um, but you know steel mills. When I was a kid growing up, they were all going out of business. And there were all they're, they're these black windows. I'll never forget that. Like there was no like frames. There was just like these windows next to each other, and the, the building's abandoned. It's just sitting there. It's fine until someone throws one rock and breaks one window. And once that happens, it's like everything starts. Like then everyone's throwing rocks, and it's just <laughs> now it looks like disaster. It looks like the apocalypse or something. But it's like that one domino needed to fall, and it, that was going to be Colorado. I thought it would be one of the four corner schools because the Big Ten wasn't going to move out. But yeah, that's. A little bit surprising. And are you surprised for you guys at all or I'm I'm surprised. I thought Washington, Oregon would be, you know, on the move quicker than, than Colorado. Just because they're more attractive universities to to try to steal um, for other conferences. So. Yeah. I mean this is a what people were talking about when when I first had Mike Bone on and I asked him like, you know, would USC consider joining another conference, going independent? And he said everything's on the table. And that kind of made national news. And I had a lot of like Oregon fans and like Utah fans say like USC is not even that good, blah blah blah. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, it's not about how good were you this year or the last five years. This is more about your brand. Colorado was one of the worst college football teams we've ever seen, and they're the ones <laughs> that get to leave. Like, there was who was the other one? like? Um, there's another one in eleven team out there that was like looking at it. But what? There was another one out there. But anyway, like Colorado doing that, they're just awful. But it wasn't about you know, oh, Cal beat them or, or whatever. Like this is, this was more about like they were in the, the conference before. They're a Power Five team. You know, the Big Twelve added a bunch of group of five teams that were good. Now they're like, you know, fluffing up a little bit, adding a Power Five team. And by doing that, it probably opens up the door for other ones, and maybe even getting an Oregon or a Washington. Now that that's happened, so it's more about that than anything. Uh, Brandon has a few questions. We'll start with his first one. How much run do you think Rajon and Tack, Rajon Davis and Tack Curtis, get this season, assuming Gentry and Cobb start? I mean, I think we've talked about that pretty pretty good, but I think, you know, if, if there's five guys that prove themselves, I think you're going to see a rotation, especially early in the season, San Jose State, uh, in Stanford, you know, some of those lesser opponents early in the season. All right, if you prove yourself in practice, you're going to get opportunities in the games, and then if you can prove yourself in the game, you're going to keep getting thrown in there. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Connor? I feel the same. I think it's tough five guys for two spots, like you talked about earlier, shotgun. But the cream rises, so whoever practices well will get on the field. All right. Uh, Brandon also says, the position all of you are most excited to watch this year. Hmm. 
I mean, defensive line just is going to be so should be so much better. And the fact that you have more talent and more talented depth at that position means now Alex Grinch can do some different things. You know, if last year we've heard that there were you know a ton of slants and stuff that maybe they're not doing that as much this year. If you read the War Room, that's something else you did. That's why you should subscribe. Make sure you also hit the like button in this and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah. D-line one for me, quarterback two, receiver group three. Yeah, I'd say D-line for sure. But I, for me, even the offensive line, um, I love the depth that they've built. It just looks so – if you just look at the roster from two years ago – how many guys like retired from that? You know, they were they're on the roster and they shouldn't have really been there. They had like seventeen or eighteen scholarship offensive linemen that a bunch of them couldn't play. Like you have a whole bunch of guys that can play, and just the the chemistry that they've put in. Um, you know, this isn't adding one dude. Like you've added multiple guys that you know you could have three starters that are, weren't on the team last year that have you know got a bunch of experience. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun one, especially a guy like. Emmanuel Pregnant, like, you know, going Wyoming, enters the portal and just blows up. Like, oh, my God, this guy's great. Um, you know, what what he can do there. Uh, Blessing Breaks, uh, with the running backs uh, being disrespected with trash contracts. He's talking about the NFL. <laughs> what do you think uh, the future of the position will look like? Will kids even want to play there? I think you always want to run the ball. It's Yeah, it's about the glory. You know, people want ego and glory. You want the ball in your hand. You're the one that's going to – especially – Leading up to high school and still a lot in high school, that that's the position that scores touchdowns. I think, too, of course, the money comparatively to, or com compared to other positions is way less, but you can still make a lot of money playing running back, even if you're only there for a few years. Yeah, you'll need to get another job after, but it's still a great place to start if you're making even like 700 grand a year. I'd, hey, I'd make 700 grand a year. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. And, you know, they had two first round running backs um, this job. year. Yeah, former should be at USC player Bijan Robinson. Yeah, so I mean it can happen, but it's just it is a you know you can't be replaced, you know. So it's just one of those things, and it might it changes sometimes your thought process when you're in college. Like how many carries do I have in me in my life? Do I yeah. want to waste some of them in college? Now, now you get paid, you can get nil money, but. Um, that all comes into play. And I think, too, that's a great point. Maybe you make more money in college than you would in the NFL. <laughs> if you, you could. I mean, who knows? Like, Bijan Robinson had a bunch of deals and stuff, but he's going to make a lot of money, obviously. Uh, Patrick says, uh, did anyone see Corey Foreman and Damani Jackson? How did they look? We talked about Damani Jackson a little bit after this question was was, uh, was submitted. Um, he looks looks really good. He looks he's really excited about uh, this season and his potential now that he's healthy. Corey Foreman was not among the people there. Uh, there was some discussion about Corey Foreman, um, and it's it's on him to prove that he should be in that discussion a little bit more. Because someone else mentioned uh, it's it seems like Mark said it seems like Corey Foreman has pretty much disappeared from anyone's discussion. It's his job now to forces his way back into that discussion much more. Yeah. Were you guys surprised he wasn't there? No, just because there's so many new defense alignment. Uh, I think that's part of it. I mean, we talked about there's no returners basically on that defense line that that came and were a part of the, the media day-to-day. -day. So no Tyron Tolini, even though he's a guy that should be in the mix. Uh, Stanley Taufu was not there. Um, so those guys as well were not there. So I think it was just want to see the young guy, uh, new guys and, and hear from them. So I think yeah. that was part of it. Seemed like a little bit of that. But it, that's what you kind of tell people is like, how do you know that defensive line is going to be better? Like, well, a whole bunch of guys are back besides Thule, right? Um, two of the Pelotu. And 
they're probably the guys that were starting last year won't this year or probably won't this year. I mean, that shows you something that you've brought a bunch of new guys and they just upgrade the position. So your starters last year are now backups. Like that's that's a pretty good sign. Um, and Corey Foreman wasn't starting last year, so and he's not starting this year. If he was a starter, he would have been there too. Yeah. Uh, we got two more. Ron from L.A. Uh, that's lower Alabama. How long at the fall camp will a starting roster for offensive defense be released? They don't really do that. They put like a two deep, like pre, like for the program for the game, I think, right? Or for before the first game. I think I that's, I think the Friday before or something like that. Yeah. Like it was super late last year. I remember it being. Yeah. I don't, that's not something that the Glick and Riley will hand out. Like here's the, here's our starters and stuff. Like, I think that's somewhat strategic too, but however, uscfootball.com will have positional depth charts throughout the fall camp. We will watch, and uh, yeah, Chris is great with taking the notes. He'll do his ghost notes from practice and stuff, and uh, you can see where guys are lining up, get a feel for where they are. Um, and uh, Connor's going to add. Connor and Chris's notes are going to come together, so it's good. Connor had some really good notes before. Chris will be the main notes guy though it sounds like i think he's very passionate about those he's very passionate about this stuff and we have one last one chris is not very passionate about anything guys <laughs> i don't know i saw him in vegas uh it was fun he was still he was passionate he like, he's trying to get into gambling and stuff a little i had to show him around i listened to live chat uh, way behind but ryan why didn't you start the show with hello trojan fans i'm sad now this is tunnel vision i know it's kind of confusing but this wasn't a podcast so i don't start it that way and i don't usually Host like you, you know, before we had Keeley, and when when Jack gets back, he'll be sitting in the hosting chair, and we'll figure it out. But we got a lot of options now. Connor's going to be around. Uh, RJ can be around for some local ones, and of course Chris. Uh, and when Jack comes back, so we'll we'll be mixing things up with our Tunnel Vision shows. But I know it gets a little kind of confusing. We haven't had as many pure Tunnel Vision shows that we've had just kind of podcasts. We do simulcast, but I don't know. But that's why this wasn't. This is a uh, this is meant for video where the podcast would just kind of simulcast a uh, video along with it. So a podcast will go up from this, but it's not, we don't record this as a podcast. We record this as a video show. This one is video first. The Peristyle podcast is audio first. Yes. So the most important thing. So yeah, like just, yeah, I don't down, I don't record this audio separately. I d basically download it from YouTube and just put it up there on our podcast platform where when we're doing a podcast, I'm recording the audio and doing all that kind of stuff. So a little how the sausage is made. I'm sure you guys care. <laughs> Well, it's getting a little late. We need to get some grub because it's been a long day. We did, the one weird thing started at noon is that we didn't really get to eat lunch. I know yeah. Shotgun had some Jackson Joe uh, beforehand. Delicious but, pancakes. Yeah, Connor gave me some uh, what's it called? Goldfish. That was good. <laughs> and I grabbed a pack of Oreos on my way out of USC. So uh, ready to eat a meal. So we're going to wrap things up here. But we really appreciate everyone out there uh, joining us for Tunnel Vision. We'll have them regular going again. I think we'll do during the season, the Thursday, Sunday thing. Uh, we'll probably keep going with that. Uh, we'll let you know uh, what's going on. Preview shows on Thursday. And then we'll do our regular podcasts and stuff too. And like the, the, the Sunday night shows are a lot of fun, kind of recapping the games and everything. And we'll probably bring in different people, um, show you some different stuff, uh, what's going on with Tunnel Vision. But regular shows too. I'm doing a, a podcast Friday with Harvey Hyde. So we'll kind of talk about the first day of fall camp and all that stuff. And then Chris and Connor and I will probably keep doing the podcast as well. So we'll we'll figure all that stuff out. And yeah, we'll get Shoddy when he's in town. We'll get him around too. And we'll we'll do a remote. You know, you could be remote. <laughs> we can have uh, many voices in there. So it's just I think three or four is good. We can't really get more than that. I think that's a little tougher, but we do what we can. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's gonna wrap things up uh here on the show. Uh that is right over there. Connor Morissette, nice job. 
Way to go. Uh, Shotgun Spratling coming into town. Uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for that. And thanks for everyone for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. Oh, real quick. Make we need sure to post. Subscribe. Yeah, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to uscfootball.com. It's the best money you're ever going to spend. You'll know more about things going on. Chris loves to do a pose. We should do a, a screenshot pose. Chris yeah. is not here. I know. He, he's here. He's in the <laughs> other room. Uh, what should we do? Real quick. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Okay, everyone do thumbs up. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> See you next time. Whatever. <laughs> Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.